I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 73. That's our Old Testament reading this morning. Psalm 73, then we'll go to Romans 1, 18 through 31, our preaching text. Psalm 73, and I, as, as, as we go through the Old Testament readings, they're not just randomly chosen. You're going to see, I hope you see the connective tissue between what we read in the Old Testament and how it applies or how it's manifested in the New Testament as well. So Psalm 73 and then over to Romans 1, 18, verses 1 through 12 and 18 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how could God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Goes on to say, verse 18, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Now I ask you to please turn with me to Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, and we'll begin in verse 18 through 31. Paul writes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, 
heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them as well. Thus ends a reading of God's word. How appropriate for our time uh, as we see, as, you're, as we have been seeing, actually. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much for your precious word. And again, I pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would draw us near, that our hearts and minds, Lord, would be illuminated by your spirit to learn, to grow, to give attention to your word, Lord God, to heed it, to understand, to be formed by it, Lord, and to live it out in our lives, to see it in practice, Lord God. So I pray that you would be with me to bring forth precious word and, and help me to speak as I ought to speak, Lord God, knowing that we are all dependent upon you, even as we sit at the feet of our Lord, Savior, Master, and Teacher, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God and amen. Okay, just a quick recap from last week. We talked about being under judgment of God, and this is like the judgment of abandonment. It's not that he's coming down and just striking a brimstone, fire and brimstone. That may happen. We'll see. But there's times, and we see this throughout Scripture, where God just removes that hand of restraint. Uh, There's always common grace. Don't get that wrong. God, in his infinite goodness and mercy, even though nobody deserves it, still provides common grace to all people through his through his decree, part of his purpose and plan in his nature and character. So the rain falls on the evil and the good as well. But there's there are those times when God just removes his hand of restraint and he lets people go to be who they would naturally be in their way, apart from his restraint, apart from his grace in that regard. So we saw that last week, the judgment of abandonment. And it shows us, it just demonstrates so clearly our sin against God. You know, you think you're good, you think all right. When he lifts that hand of restraint and he lets you do what you really want to do, where your heart's going to lead you, then you see just how sinful you are, how desperate our situation it is apart from Christ, man, how much we need him, how desperate we are for his mercy as individuals, certainly, but even nations as well. So last week we talked about sexual morality, the widespread acceptance, the embracing of it. We talked, remember last week said, it's not new. These things aren't new that's going on, but when you see that it's no longer the outlier, when it receives wide acceptance within the culture, right? When people are embracing these things like they are today to our shape, when things aren't being resisted but being received, when, when there's no shame but celebrating of these kinds of behaviors, as we talked about last week, you know you're in trouble, man. Where, where, where God is rejected, where the restraint is lifted, That sin that's always been there becomes magnified, becomes glorified in the population, becomes practiced very boldly, very proudly. And and many not only practice these things boldly and openly, but but they're made to seem virtuous, man. And that's the big deal. That's what I want you to understand through all of this, but especially this morning. That's one of Satan's chief tricks. Do you know that? To make the the um, vices seem like virtues. If he can get you to do that, then you're in big trouble. Believe me, beloved, we're in big trouble today, even in our nations, because that is where we find ourselves without a doubt. Keep this in mind as we go through this. We're going to go through one of the vice lists today. Uh, there are many vice lists in the New Testament. It's just that the, these are the sins uh, to put off. Here's what you need to do to put on. This one here in Romans, there's like 15 different vice lists 
It's so-called. And they're important. I don't want to downplay them. This one is descriptive. The, the passages we're looking at this morning are descriptive. They describe the sinful heart of man, what it looks like when people are left to themselves. When God's hand of restraint is lifted. This is, this is, we were left our own devices when God gives them over, right? And we read three times. God gave them over. He gave them up, right? You want it? You got it. That's what the Lord said. You don't want me? Okay, I'm going to lift the hand of restraint and see where you end up. This has always been the case, though, man. We just don't know it because we've lived in a nation, believe it or not, contrary to popular opinion, that has been blessed by God and mightily blessed by God, at least to this point. Amen? So we don't, we don't understand. But if you look at ancient history, check out the Old Testament. Those nations next to Israel were pagan nations, man. And they were worshiping false gods and making idols, bowing down to them, burning their kids in the fire, offering them up to them. What? His hand of restraint was off them. Even as you go through ancient history, you had some great nations, Greeks, the Romans, Babylonian and so forth, not necessarily in that order, but you see those, there's always underlying corruption, and they almost came to a disastrous end basically because of that, the immorality, the that won't stand. But see, that's where God doesn't, his hand of restraint, he's letting them go their own way, like we talked about from Acts 14 last week in that way. Today, in our world, what do we talk? We talk about Tin pot dictators. You know, that's a tin pot dictator. That's like a, an autocratic ruler. He's not really a political, compassionate leader. He's just a dude with power and money and willing to do whatever it takes to get into power and keep that power, right? With delusions of grandeur. We talk about third world nation status. You know what third world nation status is? That's where God's hand and the restraint is lifted off. So you have hardships. You have deplorable living conditions due mainly to the corruption, man, to the Corruption to the core, the unethical, the ungodly leadership. And that's what God leaves us over to, gives us over to. And that's what, that's what Rome, that's what Paul's speaking to. So don't, don't forget that. But always remember the big picture. These first three chapters, Paul is, he's sealing us in under sin. There's nowhere to go. We're seeing that. There's nowhere to escape our sin. There's no excuse for our sin against God. And then that's when justification, the gospel comes in. That's the good news. Right now, we're in the bad news phase, but it's the real news, and it's the news you need to know and hear. So we're going to press on this morning with that. For all our faults, even in this nation, just as, as we think about this idea of, of God's hand, for all the faults in our nation, I'm not you know, going, going to give a, a beautiful picture of our nation as a whole, that we've always been pristine, that we've always been so godly, we've always been so wonderful. I'm not going to paint with that brush. Are you kidding me? We have many, many faults as a nation. No doubt. And we always have. However, and this is what separates from the third world, from the tin pot dictators. God has blessed us. We do have a godly heritage, despite news to the contrary these days and what we're hearing. Don't, don't buy into all of that. No, we're not this pristine, perfect, but we're not this demonic, evil nation. God has blessed us, and much of that was due to the fact that we look to him, to the fact that many professed his name, to the fact that even our laws, our form of government, our structure reflect that God is one. We're, our nation has had, compared to other nations in the world, under God's blessing, stability, prosperity, opportunity, justice. I know that's a big question. Humanitarian. Nobody in the history of the world has done more to help other nations in trouble than our nation as a whole. 
Again, this isn't a patriotic message. This is just a little illustration because we're going to see how God's, when his hand is lifted, where that leaves you. Medicine, the advances that we've had in medicine, nobody touches us. And that's so much because there was a concern, especially initially, for life, for those created in the image of God. We want to preserve life. We want to protect life. We want to bring health. What do you think? Look at the hospital names before they changed all of them, but they were providence, mercy. We'll give some credit to the Catholics, saint this, saint that, but, but that's, that shows forth that love for life and that concern for life, things that set us apart. Education. Invention. Innovation, advancement, and freedom. Freedom from oppression. Say what you want, but people from all over the world still want to come here. Okay. And this is godly. Now, having said what I just said, I feel like I'm almost having to, to speak in the past tense because of where we find ourselves. Because instead of becoming more Christian and more godly or maintaining that, at least, we've steadily become more pagan as a nation. This is where Romans went. And I, I have, when I was planning on preaching through Romans, I wasn't planning on going down this, this aisle, but this is where we find ourselves. So you read Romans 1. This is where we, this is where we, this is us now, right now. This is why there's such urgency and it's coming through in this way because we have rejected God not only as individuals, but as a nation. And that hand of restraint is being lifted, and it shows up in this. This is why we're, we're going through this. Obviously, the good news is in Christ, praise God. But this is tough stuff that we need to know and understand. There's been a huge acceleration in our godlessness in the last several years, especially. You know that. That's why some of you guys are here. You left churches that have gone rogue. You left churches that have gone woke. You left churches that, that have gone to LGBTQ, you know, the Lord is bringing us here together in that, in that way. And that's one of the reasons. Because it's objectively seen in our society as we've turned vice into virtue. That's a big deal. Turning that vice into virtue. It's one thing to have vice in the corner over there where it belongs, as it were. Now it's out. And everybody's doing it. Everybody's accepting it in different ways. So we're turning that vice into virtue as we are being given over by God. And that's because, by and large, we have rejected him. You understand? We have rejected him. We pray that he sends revival. We pray that he sends repentance. We pray that it begins here and goes out. But this is where we're finding ourselves right now. It's even seen in the thinking and in the reasoning. And here's we come to our text. Look at verse 28. Since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. To what? He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So that's one of the, we want to start right there with a debased mind. That word actually means to be depraved, a mind that's depraved. It doesn't mean you're as bad as you can be. You could still do reasoning and, and math and all those good things. But when it comes to God, that word, debased mind, a relationship to God means lower in character. So lower in character, lower in dignity, lower in quality. The word actually means worthless. And the idea of darkened is there. So, so what it is, in theological terms, it's the noetic effect of sin on full display. That's it. In our minds, sin affects every aspect of our being, including your minds. Do you know that? We don't think straight. We don't think clearly. doesn't mean we're stupid, not intelligent, can't do wonderful things. But when it comes to the Lord, we don't think God's thoughts after him. And, and the more we get away from the Lord, the less our minds are trained on him. So sin affects our thinking. We don't think his thoughts after him. We don't glorify him. We don't honor him with our minds and in our thinking. 
We are against him. So he said, he's given them over that, to that debased mind. So they're not going to look to him. And what flows from that is this summary that Paul just, just pours out. These things are not proper according to God's standard. God's mind, this is, in God's mind, these things are wrong and they're sinful. And yet this is what's being practiced. This is what's being like, kind of taking over in many ways. He gives 21 examples, 21 characteristics. And I don't know, man, how I want to approach it. You could basically do a sermon on each one of these. You guys would kill me. I'd probably kill myself if I had to do that. Uh, that would be too much um, for anybody. Even Martin Lloyd-Jones didn't do that with his and his series through, through Romans. I don't think he did, did he? Did he take each one, Tony? No. <laughs> but so, so we're not going to do that. But I don't want to just fluff them over and just kind of mention them and move on. So we want to, it's going to be kind of a machine gun approach. Hopefully, it's, we're going to skim, but with some depth and get us to think about it. I wanted to cover as many as I could in a reasonable time period. So we'll see what we get this morning. Um, I think I have six for sure. But uh, then, then I'll have mercy on you after that. But uh, we're going to go through these. Again, understand this, and this is so important for us to get. Get this in your mind. Don't forget this. There's nothing new about these sins. These sins have always been. They've always been around. But the deal is when they become more pronounced in society, when they become accepted, and even when we find virtue in some of these things or justification for these things, this is how you know that you're in big trouble. And believe me, we're in big trouble. Paul says here, he uses a participle, he says, being filled, verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. And he goes on from there. But that participle, when he says being filled and full of, that's the idea. And this is where there are times when God's hand of restraint, we're always sinful, but there's times when he's restraining us. Okay, it's not that bad. It's not that much. But when he takes it off, when he gives you over, then you're filled up because that's where you're naturally going to go. Do you understand? So when he says they are full of this or, or you know, it, being filled means like filled to the brim when you fill a cup up. You're not, you don't stop halfway. You say, okay, man, fill that up to overflowing because I want more. I want all of that. That's the idea. That's the intensity behind that. When, when, when he says they're full of, I need to be careful about this. When we say, you know, you're full of it. You know, you're just full of it. And that's, right? And that's, 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 that characterizes who you are at that, at that time. And so, so that's the idea. So behind it, this isn't hyperbole. It's, it's the idea of, look, this is the way it is now. This is, this is the reality. This is the new normal. Um, we want to say it's not as bad as it could be. We always want to say that. You know, we go on with our lives. We had a great time Friday night. We're doing our things. Things don't seem to be kind of going along, but you know that they're not. You know that things are different. You know there's a darkness, impending darkness. We're in that, that darkness. It's even in the cool things that we do and the things that, how we live our lives. There's still an unsettledness, isn't there? There is, because we're in this time where that hand of restraint is being lifted and we're feeling the repercussions of that. There's no doubt about it. Now, not as bad as it could be, that's for sure, but it is moving in that direction, right? So we're moving in that direction to be sure. Um, as I said before, I think we're a little ways from a lot of trouble and we need to be mindful of that. So let's look at the vices as we go through these. Again, machine gun approach, skim, but hopefully significant and it kind of builds the case and leaves us without an escape route. And it shows when we abandon God that he lets us go to our own devices. And this is, 
there's going to be application for us at the end of this because we are called to stand in that gap and to be strong, to be brave, to be uncompromising no matter what. Capiche? It's a big deal for us as Christians. So let's look at this. Un- unrighteousness. Um, that word simply means this. It means not right, not righteous. The idea behind it is this. It's a lack of concern and conformity to the law of God. That's simply put, a lack of concern and conformity to the law of God. Righteousness, you see, is concerned with doing right. We're Christians, we're concerned with doing right. What's that mean? It means that we're looking to the Lord. We're, we're concerned with doing right according to the law of God. That's where rightness gets its definition. There is no other standard besides God and his righteousness. So when we talk about being righteous and doing right, we're looking to the word of God. We're looking to the standard of God. We're looking to the law of God in order to please him. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great command and combined. Where do we look for that righteousness? In the Lord and his word. Unrighteous doesn't want anything to do with the law of God. Unrighteousness is removed from it. And what it does is it replaces it. And we're finding that today to be sure. It replaces it not with God's perspective and his standard, and his absolute standard, and his sovereignty. It replaces it with man-centered values, with cultural conditions arbitrary, relative changes as people see fit to change it. That's how you get the tin pot dictators. That's how you get these third world nations because these are men doing what's right in their own eyes. They redefine righteousness. So Paul says there's all unrighteousness. You're filled with that manner. A, a small example of this, how we've replaced that, the righteousness of God with the unrighteousness even as a nation. How many of you kids can remember in your school the Ten Commandments being posted somewhere? Come on, nobody? Aren't you that? I'm, am I the only one, the old guy here? Listen, I remember Memorial School above the, above the water fountain, they had a posting of the Ten Commandments. That's gone. And, the, and it's more and more gone. So you had the law of God before you. That righteousness of God has been replaced. Go to high schools now. What do they pledge now? They pledge to honor LGBTQ. Right? That's where the pledge is. That's where that, see, that unrighteousness replaces. It's not just neutral, man. It has an effect. It replaces. It does something. So they, they, they call that vice a, a virtue now. So now there's pledges to honor that. Codes of conduct that include inclusion, equity, diversity. That's it. That's the code of conduct. And you need to live up to that. Not about being righteous and just and, and, and honest and, and, and those things. No. Equity, equity, inclusion, and diversity. And we're actively embracing or at least passively accepting these things. That's just an example of unrighteousness. They're filled with unrighteousness. He goes on to say that they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. Now that word for evil, some of your translations are going to have wickedness. That's a little bit better uh, of, of a translation for it, the word wickedness. And that just means this. You know what wickedness means? You're wicked when you're profoundly immoral, where you're literally doing the things that God hates, that God despises, and you're not doing them innocently. Oh, I didn't know. You're not doing them naively, but you're doing them deliberately with full knowledge, with malice of forethought. It is in your heart, fully intending to do harm. There is wickedness in this world today. And always remember that vice is being more and more turned into being a virtue. What's the penultimate example of this today? I would say abortion is, right? The whole stinking abortion industry from top to bottom is a perfect example of this wickedness that takes place in our world today. And people are accepting it either passively 
or embracing it, as you can see since the overturning of Roe, how active the, the embrace of it has been. But the whole industry, from the, from the parties involved to the procedures that are done to the, to the propaganda that's put out there, the anti-life movement is coming forth and showing. And they're spinning. And they're saying that it's virtuous, that it's brave for these doctors and for these women as to what they are doing while the carnage continues. See, that's an example of wickedness, man. And here's the deal. Abortion's been around, yeah, but now it's, it's been embraced by otherwise good people, like people that you would like, people that are in your family, friends. But when this issue comes up, watch out. There's going to be that, that hard push towards it. That just shows that our heart is more wicked than anything else. It's desperately wicked who can understand it. There's a wickedness. And you see that virtue, that vice being turned into a virtue. He goes on and talks about covetousness. They're filled with covetousness. All manner of covetousness. Again, a little better translation for that word is greed, man. Greed, greed, greed. And because the idea behind that word is wanting more, no matter how much you have. Don't we live in that society today? How much is enough, guys? How much is enough? No, I don't know. Too much is never enough. That's kind of one of the slogans in our society. When you see that greed, that selfishness, no matter how much you have, it's never enough. Even if you don't need it, you're going to take it anyway. Right? You're ne- it's, it's, it's like a voracious appetite. That greed just gets you, and, and you're never satisfied, and you're never content with what you have. You always want more, and you always justify it, too. There's that justification of this greed. Well, I may need it in the future. Maybe I don't need it now, but I may need it in the future, right? We don't know that the future is so uncertain, so who knows? And we want to be wise, if you're a Christian and you want to cover that up, you say you're a wise steward of everything that God gives you. You use that as a cover for your greed, man. That's not good. That's, he says you're filled with covetousness. You're filled with greed. And that's a problem because there's very little concern for others. And we see this, right? Everybody's out for themselves, looking out for number one. That's what they continue to do. Get as much as you can. And, and, it pursues, greed pursues its own desires regardless how it affects others. It just does. You're very, very reluctant to give and to loan to others, to invest in others. Every sphere we see this in our society today where greed is promoted. There was a time when there was generosity being promoted, sharing, giving. Now it's about all you can get. It doesn't matter if you're talking about sports, different um, uh, jobs, professions, it doesn't matter, man. It's all about greed. It's all about what I can have, what, what I can get, what I need. Too much is never enough. Get all that you can. Greed is good. Now, that's dated, I know, but some of you get that. Um, it's so antithetical to the scriptures, and yet it's so prominent in our world today. You see these things? These are everyday garden, I want to say garden variety, since, but they're there, and yet they're coming to the place in our time, in our culture, where these are being exalted, where they're being seen as good things, man, and in, in certain ways, virtuous things, and what you do is not, right? There's pressure in that way, but this is what happens when God lifts that hand of restraint, isn't it? Isn't it? This is, we haven't known this in our nation because we have been blessed. We have been blessed, but God is lifting that hand, and it's coming. He goes on to say, manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and then malice. He talks about malice. That is very close to evil. A lot of these words have connections, uh, but there are distinctions to them. So, so malice is close to evil. 
It's almost like a manifestation of evil. But you know what malice is? That's a mean-spirited person. That person that actually takes, do you know anybody who actually takes pleasure? I mean, takes pleasure in making your life miserable and doing everything that they can to hurt you, to destroy your reputation, to destroy your livelihood. And with malice, there's no concern for truth. There's not. They're not worried about the truth at all. They're just worried about doing damage, perceived damage, uh, the, the damage that you've damaged them. So they're going to damage you. There's no concern for truth. There's no compassion in it. For those it's directed against, there's an intentionality to it, man. And when people are filled with that malice, it just comes out. And, and, they, and they justify themselves. Listen, we see this malice in our world today everywhere. You know where we see it the most? Or well, I don't want to say the most, but we see it very prominently in the cancel culture, right? You got somebody, you're probably afraid to post things online. You're probably afraid to say things or nervous that you might get what? Canceled, right? That The, the pushback's going to come to you. These people that do that, they take great pleasure in it. They take great pleasure in, ta- in, in taking you down. And, and, and taking you out. If you cross them, if you go against their arbitrary, made-up moral standards, wherever they get them from, if you cross one of those lines, something that's not correct, politically correct, or whatever, they, whatever standard they have at that moment in time, watch out. You will find no mercy. You will find no mercy. You will find no compassion, and you will find no forgiveness. You need to understand this. This is the mentality behind so much of what's going on in our culture right now, today. You want to talk about CRT? You want to talk about BLM? This is the mentality behind that. They're not looking to be understanding. They're not looking for a truce. They're not looking to reconcile anything. They're looking for retribution and they're looking for retaliation. That's it for perceived wrongs that happened in the past. That's what you have to understand. But see, that seems virtuous because you did that. This is just justice coming back to you. No, 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 no. No. Just think about it. Even in the history of our nation, I know there's been wild times up and down, but think about the protests. Even protests in front of Supreme Court justices' homes. How many of us in our lifetimes could imagine that that would happen if you're a little bit older? And all these things that are happening, and we only see the the little bit of it that the news chooses to show us. But it's this kind of idea. That's, That's malice. That's malice. To intimidate, to hurt, to bring down, to destroy, to take out so there's that malice, that blind fury. You see some, there's that blind fury, man. There's that rage. There's that hatred. And it's all dressed up in righteous indignation. Well, you deserve this. This is what you get. And it's all justified in that way. That's malice. That's not true justice. That's not godly justice. That's not compassion. That's not forgiveness. And we're seeing this just permeate through our culture. It's not done in God-honoring societies. We're a society that no longer honors God. Just a couple more. I'm going to cut it. Uh, when with murder today, and we'll pick it up next week. Two more. To envy. He says they're envious. And this is, this is tied in with covetousness. It's tied in with greed, to be sure. And there's anger there as well. Envy, that pride and envy are at the heart of so many other sins that, that go out from that. But that particular word that he uses there, when he says um, they're full of envy, that, that, that simply means um, a selfish displeasure or even anger at seeing someone else have what you want. That's it. It comes down to that. It comes down to, to, what, to what you want in your heart or what you think you need and somebody else has, and you want that thing. Again, it's close to covetousness, but that envy is wanting it so badly. Well, at the very least, 
It's wishing that people didn't have what you want, right? If I can't have it, you shouldn't be able to have it either. Or if you have it, I want it. I should be able. It's only equitable. It's only fair in that way. That's a language that's being thrown around, right? If I can't have it, why should you? I deserve it more than this person. That person shouldn't have that. What do they do to deserve that? I've worked, see, we have that envious spirit that's almost a virtue in this day and age. This is a sin in the eyes of God. And yet we see people behind with this idea of being so envious, not being content in the Lord, but but wanting, desperately wanting, with a hatred towards those that have. This is this is behind the equity idea. When you hear equity being spoken up, this is what's behind it. This is bottom line stuff. It's not about fairness and true equality according to God's word. Equity is just, I want what you have, right? You don't really deserve it, and I do. The privilege ideology, right? You've been privileged. You're privileged. Because of, without knowing anything about you, without knowing your background, without knowing where you came from, nothing like that. Because you're white, you're privileged. White privilege, that's what we call it. Huh? That's what that, what's the sin underlying that? There are many. Envy. You are, you should, have that. Behind the equity idea, the privilege ideology, so much of it is based on envy, not true justice, not true righteousness, not true equality in the eyes of God. It's man-made, man. All right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. They want what you have. And I don't have it. So I'm going to take it. It finds virtue in these various... These are... Neo-Marxist progressive movements today that justify the denouncement, the hatred, the demand of equity, the reparations, all cloaked in the veil of justice. It comes down to this. This is what happens when God takes his hand off a nation and he lets you to your own thoughts, to your own depraved mind. You're going to come up with things like this instead of things that God actually says. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. You understand? This is where we find ourselves today. This is our context, Christian. This is our challenge. Again, it's scary in some ways, but it's also exciting because now you have an opportunity to actually live out your faith, and it, and it may cost you. We've, we've gone for a long time where we could just, like I, I like to say, kind of put it on cruise control as Christians. And we've been on cruise control for a long time. And now it's time, to take, it's time to put your foot on the gas, not on the brakes, on the gas, right, as we move forward. I just came up with that one. If it didn't work, it worked. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. The last one is murder that we'll look at this morning. Murder, yeah, murder. Um, M-U-R-D-E-R. The unlawful taking of an image bearer of God. And this often results in a culmination of the things that we just mentioned. Think in the scripture. Think of Cain and Abel. You can go on from there. Many examples underlying that is that kind of envy, the resentment, those things that we've, we've mentioned and talked about. But bottom line, what it does is it shows great disregard for the value God has placed on life. That's it. That's what murder does. That's what it shows. Um, it, it, again, I, I can go back. Another penultimate example of this is abortion, for sure. We see how little value is placed on life at that point. But even beyond abortion, look, look, 
look, are you, are you guys cool with walking on the streets now, downtown or different places in your neighborhoods that used to be safe? And I'm not just saying, oh, there's crime waves are coming. There's always been crime waves. There's always been murders. We know all of that. But now we're at the place where it's being accepted. We're at the place where not too many people really, really care about the intrinsic value of human life and doing something about that. We see that even in the defund police program, getting rid of the authorities, getting rid of that those who would um, stand up for law and order, who would, who would be that preservative in that way, that deterrent in that way. Oh, let's get let's do let's do something else again. What we think might work, our debased minds. Let's just get counselors in there. So if a murderer or rapist comes into your house, well, let's just send a counselor to talk that man out. Okay, how many of you would feel comfortable doing that? Right? But I know most of you have weapons, so you know that, that helps in that in that way, right? If it comes down to that. But that's what it is. When you when God is removed from the equation, then then regard for life decreases. It just does. That's why you have all the third world nations that we call the tin pot dictators. They don't give a a wit, I'll just say that, about life, do they? They'll murder, they'll kill, they'll do that. Why? Because they don't have a godly perspective of life. Murder is a taking of life of an image bearer of God. Right? There's no concern. Go to most major metro areas. Our son Will, when he's in Chicago, I'm tracking that kid all the time just to make sure that he's still, like his phone is still working. And if it's not, I'll call him. Will, you okay? Just the way it is today. It's just the way that it is today. And we've accepted that to a great degree. Hey, that's just the way it is, man. It's not the way that it was. It's not the way that it should be. And it is this way because God is lifting his hand of restraint upon us. We see it every day. Oh, no, well, it's just, you know, because we have more news sources. This is always, ha- yes, it's always happened. But not like it's happening now and not with that kind of tacit acceptance towards it. That's when God gives you over. When you think in your mind, God... Thoughts that do not come from the Lord. Check it out. We talk about being senseless. Talk about it being your mind. The slightest provocation. You might disrespect somebody. You might. I don't even look at anybody when you come up to a stoplight anymore. I'm just afraid. Hey, you looked at me wrong, right? The slightest provocation. Or no provocation at all. Because of some sick, whatever, in this person's sinful heart, they're just going to take life. Wantingly. They don't care. And they don't care who they kill. They're just going to do it. To, to fulfill that desire, that evil inclination that they have. Slightest provocation, no, if somebody at all feels disrespected at all, you don't just fight anymore. Okay, we used to have fights. You know, you used to duke it out in the back of the schoolyard or whatever. The worst thing somebody would have, maybe a nunchuck, that was bad enough. You don't want that. Now it's just like, you remember nunchucks or the brass knuckles, <laughs> those kinds of things. Not anymore, man. Now they come with guns. Yeah, he likes that. What kind of school did I go to? Bethel Park. <laughs> Listen, we're right on the edge, man. We're right on the edge in our society. Don't be fooled for a minute and don't be shocked in our society because it's, we have third world thinking. Another way of saying ungodly thinking. So don't be shocked when you hear about more assassination attempts. I pray that it doesn't happen, or actual assassinations. We're right on the brink of that. You, you know it. You can just feel it right now. The rhetoric is just so hot. Eliminating rivals, your political rivals. In society, think about this, Christian. Those who appear to be a threat 
to the current milieu, to the current cultural whims and what's going on. If you don't, if you don't go along with, if you don't give your acceptance to, if you don't embrace these things, then you are seen as an enemy. I'm not making it up. This isn't hyperbole. This is the truth right now. This is where we're living in. And so you are a far right winger. I didn't know I was a far right winger. I believe in the Bible. (laughs) I love the Lord. I think it's the true word of God. But even in so-called Christian circles, you're a far right wing fundamentalist, wacko, crazy, you know, whatever you are, and you don't, you deserve punishment. Did you ever think you're a far right wing just because you love the word of God? No, just a Christian. And it was like that for the longest time. Not anymore, huh? You hate people that aren't like you. You hate people that live alternative lifestyles. You don't deserve to be around much longer. And what you get That's what you deserve. Don't think there's going to be remorse. Don't think people are going to be sorry. Don't think people are going to have compassion or, you know, have a a forgiving heart. This is what you get. Am I, uh, this is, uh, this is where we're at. You hate the planet. You're destroying the planet. Something I read or heard along these lines that, you know, I forget what it is. I don't want to get too political. If you're a Republican, then you hate the planet. You don't deserve to live. It's not that, but it's like that. You know, that's kind of the idea behind it. You know, you're you're destroying the planet, so you deserve to be punished for that because you're not going along with what we believe you need to do in order to conserve. This is where we find ourselves. We take away our rights. They need to be punished. The The rhetoric... The vilification leads to justification of violence. We have the rhetoric right now. We have the vilification going on right now. We are being vilified just for what we do, just for being Christians. That justification for violence is right on the brink. It could change. I'm not a prophet. I'm not pray for God's intervening hand in that. But this is the rationale of a debased mind given over to sin. And yet they're culpable. We'll talk more about that next week because it says even though they knew Even though they knew, verse 32, even though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Again, we'll talk more about that next next week. This is the antithesis. The things that we're mentioning are the antithesis, antithesis of what God requires and what godly people seek. See, it's we're at odds right now. We're at big time odds with the world. And again, these aren't people most depraved. Some are, absolutely. But these are friends. These are neighbors. These are members of our own family, right? We're standing at that place right now, that time of decision. Matthew 10 time, to follow Christ or not. But here's what we do. We seek to be godly. And I want you to hear this as we close. Number one, the world hates him with their mind. The world doesn't think his thoughts after him. You, Christian, you need to think his thoughts after him. And you need to stand strong in the word. You need to love him. As Mark 12, 30 tells us, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, man. You're thinking his thoughts after him. You're learning his ways and you're putting it into practice and with all his strength. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're standing strong. This is what it means to stand strong and not to compromise. Number two, as to righteousness, you are to live honorably, virtuous lives, full of integrity, honesty, humility, where even those who despise you will take notice. It doesn't matter what your enemies are doing. We don't go tit for tat with them. We walk in the righteousness of Christ. Psalm 37 tells us this, 
Commit your way to the Lord. You trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. We, we walk in righteousness. As to evil, Christian, do you do that? Do you just return evil for evil? Absolutely not. What you do, what we do, is we do good. We do that which is pleasing to God and helpful to others, even those who mean us harm, even those who hate us. We still look to do good unto them, as we're told absolutely in Scripture, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see that? This is where we stand strong. This is where you plant yourself on Christ. As to greed, you be content. Don't be like the rest of the world chasing after this, wanting that, thinking they need all, to have all this as much as you can get. You be content with that which the Lord has given to you. And you be grateful and you show that gratitude and you be generous even to those who hate you. So Hebrews 13.5 tells us this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave or forsake you. We have Christ. What more do we need? As to malice, you know, I know we get so angry. I know we want to get them back. And that's because they are the unjust ones and they're saying that they're just, but they're unjust. But we're not to have malice in our hearts. We are to be kind, genuinely kind. We are to be profoundly humble, extremely gracious, acting in the best interest of all other people, including our enemies. Do you understand that? Paul's very clear, Romans 12, 14 and through 20. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them because everything inside you wants to curse them. You know, they deserve to be cursed. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. As to envy, the world envies, man. The world envies everything. Do not begrudge others or covet what they have. Don't be over, listen, don't be overly concerned with fairness. Christianity is not about fairness and worldly standards. You must understand that. We are always going to be treated unfairly. We're always going to get the short end of the stick. Just get used to that, man. Just resolve yourself. If you're so concerned about fairness, you're going to drive yourself crazy, especially when it comes to you. Then the world is not going to be fair with us, especially when it comes to you personally. What you need to do is you need to pity those who seem to have it all. They envy and they take. You pity those people because they seem to have it all except that which they need the most, and that's Jesus Christ and salvation, and that's what you have. Nothing could purchase that. Nothing could beat that. We're told in Matthew in Mark 8, 6, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You could be as, as envious as you want and get the whole world and to forfeit his soul. You understand this? Do you see this? We're not to be like the world. That's what's going to turn it around. We're not going to fight them on their, on their ground, man. We do that which is counterintuitive. This just is, right? Our intuition, intuition is to punch you in the face if you punch me. No, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you with the love of Christ and pray that you are converted in him. As to murder, we promote, we preserve, and we protect life. That's why we have our people down at the clinic. That's why we're involved in, in these movements that we're involved in that seek to protect and preserve life. We are whole life, as some people like to say, but we are for, for life as God has, as he has given it to us.
You promote, you preserve, you protect life, and yet you need to be willing to lay down your life for the cause of Christ. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? See? Even for your enemy in that way, if it will bring him to Christ. That's what we're called to do. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ in every sphere of life, every aspect of life, everything that I do. And it doesn't matter. And I'm going to put myself out there because I know for me to, to die is gain. It gets better from here. Right? This is what we're called to do, beloved. This is how we stand in the gap. This is how we, we, we turn around what's happening in Romans 1. Ultimately, true positive political and social change doesn't come from the leaders that we elect, doesn't come from programs that we put in necessarily, those, those kinds of things. It comes as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, and that's what we we failed miserably, man, on that level. We're always trying to you know, be with the world and kind of not upset them or get on their level. Man, you just need to break the glass. In case of emergency, break the glass and just preach the gospel. That's what we need to do. People need to hear it. People need to hear they're on their way to hell apart from Christ lest they repent and believe on him and then go from there. But that has to be fundamental to our, whenever we have opportunity in the world. And I loved it when those men were down at the, down at the uh, county building speaking before the political leaders. That showed courage. That showed boldness. That showed the gospel being preached and truth being spoken to power in that way. That's what's going to change. That's what's going to turn around. When they receive Christ and when our, the churches and then society's chief concern is to glorify God, honor and obey him. That's when the blessings will flow. That's when the favor will return. That's when the restraints will come back. But we must be willing to do that. Where we stand right now, we're in a tough place. We're right on the brink. So we need to be strong. No compromise. No matter what, with the love of Christ.